This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February the 7th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, how does life insurance fit into an overall financial plan? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin explores some options you should be considering. AMI's all-access comedy features a stellar lineup. Nick Thielen reviews the comedy special. And there's a new exhibit at the Dalhousie Art Gallery. Community reporter Melana Kazanavishis tells you about As We Rise, photography from the Black Atlantic. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours. Thank you for stopping by live on AMI-tv and AMIplus.ca, or perhaps you are listening to this in the future on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. Let's get to the top story of the day. It's all about health care. It's been one year since the federal government struck a new health care funding deal with the provinces. Laura Osman files this report. So far, Ottawa has signed four one-on-one deals with provinces for targeted funding, provided the provinces lay out how they plan to spend the money. Health advocates like Linda Silas, president of the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions, say there are positive talks happening at the bureaucratic level. But she argues little has changed for nurses working difficult shifts in hospitals in the meantime. Health Minister Mark Holland says it's taking time to negotiate one-on-one deals that will actually provide measurable improvements. Laura Osmond, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. Switching over to your money, Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem is elaborating on the impact of monetary policy on housing. He pointed out again that Canada's housing shortage is a major factor in shelter costs. But high shelter cost inflation also reflects increases in rents and other housing costs, which are more related to the structural shortage of housing. This is not something monetary policy can fix. But it is something we need to understand and factor into monetary policy because it's affecting the cost of living of Canadians. Macklem notes the central bank does not focus on any single economic indicator. Uh, we, can't, we can't ignore shelter costs, but we don't, we don't target shelter costs. We, total, we target total CPI. So that, that's something that's built into our forecast. Inflation, it takes time, but it does come down gradually. And you know, as I said previously, as inflation comes down, we gain more assurance that we're uh, headed back to the 2% target. Yes, then we can talk about cutting interest rates. And beyond housing, you are still deeply aware of how expensive it is to do your groceries. Dalhousie University food researcher Sylvain Charlebois spoke to a parliamentary committee on food prices. Michelle Zadikian files this report. 
Charlebois says the government should be more concerned with price coordination in the industry, noting a recent example where Loblaw lowered its discount program to align with competitors. Charlebois, who is the director of Dalhousie's Agri-Food Analytics Lab, made the comments before a House of Commons committee studying food prices, with grocers under pressure to stabilize prices. He says the committee should also prioritize the grocery code of conduct, which is nearly complete, but at a standstill with Loblaw and Walmart. Walmart saying they're not ready to sign on. Michelle Zedekian, the Canadian Press. Okay, let's go south of the border. Something really weird happened in American politics yesterday. I mean, something weird happens in American politics pretty much every day. Nonetheless, the Nevada Republican primary vote was held. Nobody won. And it doesn't really matter. Donna Warder can offer up a little bit more context. None of the above. None of the above. That's how Las Vegas resident Kurt Maurer and the majority of Nevada Republican voters cast their ballots in Tuesday's Nevada primary, which is symbolic and doesn't award any delegates needed to win the GOP nomination. Maurer explains why he voted none of the above. I know who I'm going to vote for. I'm voting for Trump. Former President Donald Trump was not on the ballot in Tuesday's primary, but instead is focusing on Thursday's caucuses. Maurer says he'll be there. For the Nevada Democrats, President Joe Biden won their primary. I'm Donna Water. If the caucus is what matters, why even bother holding the vote? I, I, I've said this to you a million times, and I apologize for repeating myself. Americans make democracy way too hard. Canadians try their best to make it hard as well. But the American system is just so weird. I uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that I might be the one to bring American politics to the news panel on Friday. I, I, I just need Joita and Michelle to maybe talk me off the ledge here a little bit. So maybe I'll be the one who brings Donald Trump and American politics to the uh, shores of Now with Dave Brown on Friday's news panel. You'll have to tune in to find out just after 9 a.m. Eastern time. Let's get to the daily polls at Accessible Media on X at Accessible Media Inc. On Facebook on Tuesday, you were asked, have you ever experimented with a diet trend? You know, all meat, juice cleanse, all vegetable, etc. 38% of you said yes. 62% of you said no. Pearly pigtails. Facebook's in at Accessible Media Inc. No. I used to just count calories when I was younger, and that worked for me. Leona writes in, yes, many years ago, the diet reduced calorie intake over a couple of weeks to a daily total of 500. Oof, brutal, that sounds rough. There were also restrictions on what you could eat. Needless to say, when the calories were increased again, weight went up too. Kendall chimes in, in the 80s, my family did, so I have too. We ate nothing but cabbage soup for an eternity once. It took me a decade of reconditioning so I could enjoy cabbage again. The diet didn't work. I've been trying to work a trauma joke in here, but I'm concerned it would be in bad taste. Sarah comments in, yes, a short cleanse that forbid soy, amongst other things. That's how I learned soy was giving me migraines. Hey, always appreciate these thoughtful responses that y'all take the time to type in in the comment section at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or in the replies on Twitter, uh, excuse me, X at Accessible Media. 
Let's see what you've got today. It's a bit of a personal finance question, and it's going to relate to what certified financial planner Ryan Chin explores later in the hour. It's all about life insurance. And straight up, I'm just curious, do you have a life insurance plan, yes or no? It's something that even as an individual who cares about my personal finances and does some work to make sure I'm recalibrating my investment portfolios, staying on top of debt, daily expenses, budgets, other forms of insurance, life insurance just wasn't on my radar at all. I know I've got a very small package through our work benefits program, but it's something that I've never even contemplated. So Ryan's going to have to do a little bit of work here to convince me on why I need life insurance as someone without any dependents, but I really am curious what he's got to say, and that's where we start with the personal conversation this morning. Alex Smythe, you're also an AMI employee. You're much like me. You've got a small policy in our benefits package, but have you actively sought out a life insurance plan? I haven't, Dave, and uh, it, it's not that it's because I, I don't think it's necessary or anything like that. I, I just think for myself, like where I am in my stage of life, I'm, I'm not ready for it yet. And that said, once I, you know, end up buying a, a, a place on my own, I think that's going to be the time where I'm going to look at uh, seeing what the options are, looking to to get some sort of policy to go along with that, because then, you you know, the assets have grown, things like that. So I, I've always kind of looked at it as more as like a stage of life thing. So once I own a place, that's when I want to kind of invest in that. It's I've never been kind of one to shy away just based on, oh, no, this is confronting my own mortality or anything <laughs> like that. That That's never been my issue with it. It's more just like, hey, I, I want to wait and get other steps out of the way first before I, I jump to the life insurance policy side of things. Yeah, between Forbes editor Aaron Broverman bringing estate planning to the table a couple of weeks ago and Ryan talking about life insurance today, y'all are trying to make me confront my mortality in real time on the air, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Uh, Laura Bain, you have talked before about some of the financial struggles of being a student in this day and age. What about a life insurance plan? Have you considered this at all? No, you know, I think it's it's no for all three of us today for similar reasons. So, you know, the closest I've come, I think, was when I got out a student bank loan and I paid for the life insurance premium on that. Sometimes that can be a good idea if you're taking out a loan and there's an option to have a small percentage so that uh, your loved ones don't have to, you know, pay the loan back if something happens to you. But uh, overall, I also sort of feel like I haven't reached that stage in my life. I don't have any dependents. I also don't really have much in the way of assets, which also goes into yeah, estate planning. Yeah. But, you know, I suppose the case that Ryan might make is that if anything were to happen to myself, it would uh, leave my loved ones kind of stuck with funeral costs, um, not to get things too morbid uh, on a Wednesday morning. But I guess if that happens, they'll just have to sell off my meager, ass <laughs> my, <laughs> my meager assets or I don't know. Uh, it probably is something that I should think about. But no, honestly, I haven't. And and perhaps being at that kind of student stage where sort of, you know, counting every every penny yeah, and, and yeah. you know, 
accumulating debt, it's not really on my radar. Yeah, it's a cost-benefit analysis. It's a return on investment. It's like, what is this paying this premium going to get me? Whereas, like Alex said, maybe when you buy a house, maybe at some point in life, if you decide to have kids, et cetera, et cetera, there's dependents, there's people in your life who uh, may be negatively influenced by your passing in more than just an emotional way. That's when it becomes beneficial. But I'm very interested and curious uh, to find out what Ryan Chan has to say in about uh, 20 minutes on the topic. At Accessible Media, on X at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That's where you can vote. On social media, you can also chime in via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. 1-866-509-4545 is the phone number. 1-866-509-4545. Hey, and don't forget, it's not just the daily poll. There's all kinds of topics that come up during the course of the show that might rub you the right way or the wrong way. And I want to hear about it when they do. So don't be afraid. Engage. Talk to me. I'll listen. I talk to you so much. I like it when you talk to me. Coming up after the break, AMI's All Access Comedy special features a stellar lineup. Nick Thielen has a review. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in streaming audio at AMIplus.ca. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. AMI's all-access comedy show is set to debut this Friday, February the 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. You've heard me talking about this special pretty extensively, featuring a series of comedians from the disability community. Nick Thielen had a chance to catch a sneak peek of the special. Nick is a comedian based in Alberta and can offer up a bit of a review here. Hey, good morning, Nick. Nice to chat with you this morning. Hey, Dave. How are you doing this morning? Not too shabby, sir. So, first and foremost, overall thoughts on the special. What did you think? Overall, I really, really enjoyed it. What I love is that, uh, you know, I want to start out by saying, um, you know, that that uh, what what Brian Lachance kind of echoed uh, in in when he was talking, he said, you know, funny is funny. You know, I think we're just all comedians, and uh, they all have unique perspectives. Of course, they all share their stories and their experiences. But I think the the important thing here to note is, you know, they're all comedians with unique stories, but um, they're not quote unquote, like comedians with disabilities, let's say. They're just funny comedians. And I should also note that um, this this comedy special itself is dedicated to Daryl Lennox before I get too far to it. And, and uh, so I just wanted to mention that because I was at the very end and I should mention that uh, Daryl is very well known in terms of what he did uh, for you know the visually impaired and just for comedians uh, across Canada and the US. So I think it was a really nice touch for, for them to dedicate it this special time as well. Yeah, no doubt about that. Daryl uh, did a lot. He was someone who was a tremendous comedian and a tremendous advocate as well. So definitely nice to see the the special pain tribute there and dedicating it to him. Hey, Nick, you and I can talk about some of the stand-up elements here in a second, but the, the, the show features some really interesting interview vignettes with the comedians. How do you think that enriched the special? 
I really think it did that because it allowed each person to talk about what their specific disability is. And I think a lot of people that, of course, the special is going to go um, like national and be on uh, different platforms. So uh, I think a lot of the people that are watching this might be seeing these disabilities for the first time and really learning about what this disability is. And so um, what I noticed too with DJ as the host, um, for example, he really got uh, into um, telling telling the audience, you know, he he first of all said, you know, there's high in the background in, in bright blue letters, which, you know, was a good way of describing what was going on, but also getting a funny joke out there. And then he started talking about his kids and, and you know, talking about how uh, he he would love to help his wife out with the with the kids, but he's got a he's got his hearing aids out and he can't hear. So unfortunately, his darn disability is keeping him from helping out his wife as much as he'd like. And those sorts of things are are great ways that I think all of them really connected in terms of uh, taking their disability but making it relatable to you know the general public as a whole. Yeah, DJ was tasked with something pretty difficult here because he was doing some stand-up, he was working as the host slash master of ceremonies and keeping things moving. That, that, that is not an easy position to be in when you're used to just doing your own sets. No, absolutely. It's one that I've been in before and it's, you know, your task is to sort of warm up the audience, but it's also to keep the show going, keep the time, keep, keep it on time, keep the pacing good and and uh, you know, of course, all these comedians are are professionals, and it's it's a really funny uh, comedy show. But yeah, it's it's also you know you want to you want to keep the show going and get a couple laughs in there. And I think it was just a great flow, and like I said, a really nice touch for them to to uh, have everyone sort of uh, explain their disability, get a sense of you know um, what each of them go through, but then have them also come out and sort of address it but not necessarily make that their entire set either what did you think of the way that american sign language and description were incorporated within the special um i think it was great i think you know uh dj made reference to it a couple times you know he said like uh he liked that you know he likes saying big words like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious just so that <laughs> the person who is uh signing it out has to has to try to say that and uh you know so um but i also you know as as i was watching the special i was also watching the interpreter to see you know how did they communicate this joke and i, I think it was really well done but also just like you know like there's certain like i guess sh shortcuts maybe that i didn't i wasn't really aware you know i'm sort of watching you know two different performances let's say even uh, so I think that was really, really unique. And I, I think, you know, I, I love that, you know, everyone can access this special, of course. And I hope that this uh, makes people more aware that, you know, we should have interpreters in, in all sorts of programs, not just comedy, but, you know, introduce it into uh, to more, you know, make it a, a more uh, mainstream thing for, for ma major programs moving forward. There's a pretty... A diverse lineup of comedians here representing a bunch of different disabilities. Let's talk about the comedy itself. How was the lineup? Did you get some good laughs out of here? Who stood out to you? Absolutely. You know, um, we talked about Courtney Gilmore before. She's a, a Juno uh, nominated comedian with her album, uh, Let Me Hold Your Baby. And uh, I, I really enjoyed Ryan Lachance as well, as I mentioned. 
uh, he's a very quick-witted uh, comedian who, you know, says things like, he, he mentioned, uh, you know, I have cerebral palsy, but don't worry, I don't know what it is either. And then you have someone like uh, Tanya Lee Davis, who is a comedian originally from Winnipeg, but now living in Florida, who has a diastrophic dysplasia, if I say that correctly. It's a form of uh, dwarfism, and she's been doing it for a long time. Uh, I've seen her on a few other programs, and, and it was great to get her perspective, but also have her talk, you know, um, we should we should talk about the things that we can do rather than the things that we can't do. So as well as it being funny, it was also very uplifting and, and motivating, you know, and uh, having met a person like Ryan myself before and, and seeing, you know, sort of the physical uh, struggles that he goes on to even, you know, get on stage in terms of like the accessibility uh, and, and this, it was really nice to see him uh, to see him have that platform and uh, be able to get out to a wider audience. I really think uh, they'll enjoy uh, his his stand up, and I think uh, everyone did great on this special. Hey, Nick, thank you for your review on this one. Always appreciate your perspective on uh, all things in the world of comedy. Have a lovely day. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's Nick Thielen, a comedian based in Alberta. The All Access Comedy Special debuts Friday, February the 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. And, of course, you can stream it on AMI+. Plus. Don't forget, if you're trying to get to AMI+, Plus, you have to spell out plus, P-L-U-S, A-M-I plus dot C-A. Coming up next, how can life insurance plans be part of a broader financial plan? Have you ever considered getting one? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin explores some options that you could be considering. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's the height of the RRSP season, but your financial planning goes well beyond what you have in an investment portfolio. Have you considered life insurance plans? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin has some perspective to share. Ryan is a CFP at Sun Life Financial. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Nice to chat with you this morning. And to you, Dave. Good morning. Uh, Ryan, you and I have been having this conversation together for about a year now, give or take, and there have been a lot of points where you and I share the same interest and share a similar knowledge base, but this is one where you're catching me totally out of left field. I know almost nothing about life insurance, so I've got to start here. Why are life insurance plans an important piece of financial planning? Yeah, so Dave, really it's about risk management, Part of that also is life insurance is a tool as part of the overall financial plan. You know, we have an RSP, we have a tax-free savings account, and we have a life insurance policy. These are not these are not just things that we put in place because oh someone told us we need, but it's actually a viable part of your overall plan. Uh, for example, quickly. Um, you know, if someone were to be saving toward, you know, you purchased a home and uh, you and your spouse and everything is working out well and one of them were to pass away, 
Well, that life insurance really comes into play because it helps concrete the fact that now the surviving spouse is able to manage the lifestyle that you were both dreaming of. That lends itself into a question in regards to who needs to consider this. And I'm going to put the word urgent in here, right? Because, Ryan, in my case, I've got some assets, I've got some financial planning, but I also have no dependents, right? I'm, I don't have a spouse, I don't have dependents. So in my brain, the urgency isn't there. But who are the folks who should be urgently considering life insurance? So to your point, Dave, to your particular situation, I would challenge you to say, have you maxed out your TFSA? Quick nope. Question. <laughs> nope. Uh, and if you have, and if you have, because some folks who have, uh, who are in the similar situation who have maxed out their TFSA, life insurance is an additional TFSA style product. Anyways, besides the point, to get to your actual question, <laughs> you know, is there urgency? Uh, you know, Dave, life insurance is based on need. It's not based on want. So there's typically not urgency. However, when we look at planning and we think about our future and we think about what are what are the things that we want to protect in life, that then underscores the value of life insurance. For example, if you said to me, Ryan, I want to make sure I leave, you know, a legacy gift to my favorite charity. Well, that is a permanent need. That's a need that you know, it, it, it's close to your heart and you want to protect that uh, by, you know, solidifying whatever that particular volume of cover, you know, volume of, of gift that you want to leave to that charity. So, so again, it's about need. Uh, it's about making sure that the plan fits for your particular situation and that you're not paying more than you need to just because someone thinks that, you know, you should. Mm. Ryan, I remember when I used to uh, work in your world, something that we used to offer on mortgages was a kind of life insurance. I know that can exist in other kinds of loans as well. So what are the different kinds of plans that exist? I, I know this is a big loaded question. Yeah. Please feel free to take your time with it because I think this is one where we could find ourselves in the weeds pretty quickly. I, I do think so too, Dave. And and really, there, there's a difference between mortgage protection or what they would call loan protection insurance versus life insurance. So again, two very separate products. Essentially, life insurance boils down to, you know, three main style products. There's term insurance, there's permanent or whole life insurance, and there is participating permanent. And in some people, some cases, some folks call that universal life insurance. Three very separate products, and each of them have uh, a specific need. For example, term insurance. It is, it is exactly as the name implies. It is a term product. That means it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Term insurance is something you purchase for a term need. Again, that mortgage. If you have a mortgage, well, we hope you're going to pay off that mortgage quickly. So the term should suffice for that particular need. Whereas whole life insurance or permanent insurance would be a product purchased for a permanent need. You have a small child you want to leave some money to. You have a legacy gift. You know, maybe you want to leave a, a big bequest to your favorite charity or, or university or whatever. Whole life insurance is a permanent need. That's something near and dear to you. Then when we look at participating permanent 
or universal life products, those products also fit that permanent need. But the added value of those type of products is that estate protection. You know, if you have a, a, a principal residence and then maybe you've purchased an income property and you want to make sure that that income property is passed on to your legacy, to your children, and you don't want them to have to go out of pocket to offset the capital gains. Now we're getting in the weeds, Dave. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, participating permanent insurance covers that need. So, I mean, again, we, we, we would really, the first step when thinking about any style product, uh, what we need to do is determine what is the need and what is the purpose of the product. Mm. You mentioned there's these different forms of plans. What are the rules about having multiple plans? Well, Dave, you know, uh, I would say any uh, life insurance uh, company would be happy to sell you multiple plans. <laughs> uh, and that is the fact. Um, you know, there really isn't a limit on how many you can own. Um because at the end of the day, it does boil down to need. And if, if your need is such that you need to own a number of different plans to, to cover off different needs, then by all means, uh, it, it, it can work. For example, there may be a situation where you can own one of each type of plan, a term insurance, a permanent insurance, and a participating permanent insurance, all under one profile because that fits the need of your current situation. Mm. Uh, Ryan, no need to go too, too deep on this front, but the application process, what's that like for an individual? Yeah, so this this is kind of a, an interesting one, I think. And and one thing we I want to sort of underscore right away is just because you would like to have life insurance doesn't mean you're always approved for life insurance. For example, um, when when we apply for life insurance, what we are doing is we're applying to transfer risk. So we want to take our risk and move it to someone else. And, you know, whether that risk is $100,000, a $1 million, $10 million, well, the person who's taking on that risk needs to ensure that they're betting on a safe gamble here. They don't want to pay out the risk. They will do, they will do so because of the nature of the contract. But if they don't have to, they'd prefer just to take your money. Mm. Now, through that application process, um, when you apply, all policies go through, oh, sorry, all applications go through something called a 90-day interim process. And through those 90 days, the insurer will have the opportunity to ask you medical questions, maybe send a, send a nurse over to do a paramedical evaluation, what they call a vitals check, you know, uh, check out uh, the, the blood, the urine, and, and, and check out your, your, your heart and height and weight and all those things. And then further to that, they may also need to send a letter to your doctor to say, hey, I, I want to know a little bit more information about this particular situation in this person's health history. So through those 90 days, all of that evaluation happens. The, um, the uh, uh, underwriter of the life insurance policy will evaluate everything, and then they will measure you up against a million people in your particular demographic and either approve 
or decline the policy mm. based on that, you know, evaluation. One more thing I'll add in there, Dave, uh, is a rating. And in some cases where, you know, if your risk is greater than the average person in your particular demographic, the risk is greater. For example, if you're a smoker versus a non-smoker, well, you have a higher risk. So they would apply a risk rating mm. to your policy. Mm. So it, it could affect your premium. Okay, Ryan, you've set the table beautifully here. You've laid out the facts. You've laid the foundation. Let's have the rubber hit the road for four or five minutes here because there are some social media influencers who talk about using life insurance as, quote, infinite banking, basically a way to use a plan to build wealth while you're still alive. Ryan, I know there's some machinations that you probably have to explain here as you share your take on the practice. Yeah, Dave, uh, it's, it is an incredible way to build wealth. And I will start my conversation simply by saying this is truly how the rich get richer. Now, it is absolutely a golden opportunity to use participating or universal life policies for this particular circumstance. But the misnomer in those social media ads is they say, well, you can buy one of these plans. You can uh, then in no time take out the money and still grow wealth. Well, the, the fine print on this is it truly starts with the volume of coverage and the volume of premium. For example, for one of these true infinite banking plans to truly work, it takes about 10 years to build the appropriate equity in the cash value of the plan. And to that end, the volume of, of uh, your premium would have to be north of $15,000 a year. Oh my gosh. To to really start to build any kind of equity on a 10-year plan. And I and and realistically uh 15,000 is not a lot. Um when you start to get into plans that are 25 and $50,000 plans, annual premium plans, now we're talking about true infinite banking. So don't get dazzled by the headline. You got to get into the weeds on this kind of stuff. It's like buying a house. And and you you're if you're willing to commit to that really and I'll say stringent uh uh payment plan by all means in the future it will pay off. Ooh. There is no question. They work. It just got to do it right. <laughs> yeah, it might just take uh, 10 years of building $250,000 worth of equity before you can borrow against the equity. Exactly. This <laughs> is not something that, hey, I'm going to put 50 bucks a month in, and then in five years, I'll be able to pull out enough money to buy a house. No. And that's what many people think, is they can just start one of these things, and in two, three years, start pulling out money to buy a house. And I deal with that call at least once a week. <laughs> hey, I've got a $1 million life insurance plan, and I've had it for three weeks. Can I borrow a million dollars? No, yeah. sir, you cannot. Yeah. 
You can't borrow on the face value if there is no collateral. Yes, oh, absolutely. Oh, the ultimate lesson in economics right there. Ryan Bradley Chin <laughs> dropping some truth on you. Hey, Ryan, thank you for this. I love these segments. Love chatting with you. Have a great day at work. And to you. Thanks. Take care and have a great day. That's Ryan Bradley Chin, certified financial planner with Sun Life Financial. You see, I like that. Ryan uh, countering, countering some social media trends Two days in a row, been able to use expertise against chatter that exists in social media. Coming up in 60 seconds, Alex Smythe will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minute. North American stock markets saw broad-based gains yesterday. Toronto's TSX index rising 85 points to close at 20,957. New York's Dow Jones average gained 141 points and the Nasdaq crept 11 points higher. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index lost 40 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.20 cents U.S. Athabasca Oil and Synovus Energy have closed a deal that creates Duvernay Energy Corporation consolidating the two companies' assets in the Kebab Duvernay Resource Play in northwest Alberta. And Coca-Cola wants in on the spicy trend in North America. Today, the Atlanta-based beverage giant introduced Coca-Cola Spiced and Coca-Cola Spiced Zero Sugar. It'll go on sale in the U.S. and Canada on February 19th. It doesn't have a lot of heat. The main flavor drinkers will notice, though, is a hint of raspberry. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Ribot. A hint of raspberry. Uh, I would try that. I would give that a crack. Let's bring in Alex Smythe for the weather reports. I mean, Alex, I like cherry Coke, so why wouldn't I like raspberry Coke? Yeah, I'm just, why don't you call it raspberry Coke instead of Coke Spice? (laughs) I I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's much spice in it. But hey, maybe (laughs) we can dive into this a bit more in a roundtable, Dave, uh, when it it gets released. And maybe we can get our hands on a couple of tests and see how it really tastes. Taste test. Now we're talking. Yeah. But before any of that happens, let's focus in on the weather. That's why I'm here. You know, we've talked already in this week about the storms uh, that have been affecting Atlanta, Canada. We talked last week about the impacts of uh, storm-like conditions on Western Canada. Let's focus in on the central region because parts of Saskatchewan, Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario are going to get uh, walloped in a sense uh, with snow this week. Now, Uh, The region as a whole has not seen a lot of activity when it comes to snowfall so far this year. This upcoming storm is going to be by far the largest. Uh, They're predicting upwards of 20 centimeters of snow can and will impact the region. And this is all due to a Colorado low system that's been fueled by the atmospheric river that California has been experiencing. So all that torrential rain and downpour and and, uh, intense weather in California is fueling this low pressure system that's going to be pushing its way north. It's going to come into the region late Wednesday night into Thursday. So parts of Saskatchewan may be some of the earliest spots to to feel those conditions. We'll get some snow and colder weather there. Then it's going to move into Manitoba and then by Friday, it will be moving into northwestern Ontario. And so this is going to be something that you're going to keep your eye on. Again, not a, a huge system by any means, 20 centimeters. It's not nothing, but 
with this region overall, they have not seen a lot of mm. precipitation this year and no precipitation yet in February. So this is by far the largest system of the season for the region. Yeah, 20 centimeters might not stack up to the 150 centimeters that Cape Breton got, but 20 centimeters will mess up your day. Like 20 centimeters yeah. is right around the number where that's going to mess up your day. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're going to have to think about, okay, do you make alternative arrangements getting to or from work or school? You know, you're going to be out there multiple times shoveling and digging out the, the snowfall. It is going to yeah. impact the region. <laughs> Just the region is typically used to more by this yeah. time of year. Yeah, you got to wear boots instead of shoes. You know, there's yeah. all there's all kinds. You got to wear the long socks instead of the short socks. All kinds of stuff going on in that case. Alex, thank you for this. Talk to you a little bit later. Sounds good, Dave. That's Alex Smythe at the Weather Desk. Coming up after the break, there's a new exhibit at the Dalhousie Art Gallery. Community reporter Melina Kazanavishis tells you all about As We Rise photography from the Black Atlantic. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Folks in Atlantic Canada are still digging out after last weekend's storm. Folks in uh, Cape Breton working through 150 centimeters worth of snow, which is a whole lot of snow. That's almost an entire Dave Brown. Halifax didn't get walloped as bad, but there's still lots of shovels in the ground and plows on the roads. Let's check in with community reporter Milena Kazanavishis. Hey, good morning, Milena. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm I'm uh, I'm well, I, I'm a little shack happy, wacky or however that saving goes, but uh, not bad. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to I was going to say it was something that uh, got brought up on Monday, had a conversation with Laura Bain just as the storm was somewhat subsiding. Just a lot of snow on the ground, sidewalks not cleared. What, what have the last few days been like for you? Um, well, initially, so it started on a Friday, Saturday, uh, there was no going anywhere. Even the malls were closed along with Sunday. You know, when the mall is closed, you know, you're all barricaded in and and traveling is extremely difficult i i am a very 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 happy i have a guide dog so i've managed to go down a couple of blocks and back through piles of snow i don't know how people are navigating with their white canes um our sidewalks to major grocery stores are still not cleared so you know so i engaged my neighbor um yesterday and and we should have had snowshoes as far as i'm concerned mm. um so you know i'm 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 doing okay i i will say i have a very good friend who's partially sighted up in cape breton and uh we were we were emailing and phoning back and forth and uh literally her back door is barricaded oh. with that 150 centimeters of snow so are her windows and um her parents who thankfully just live kind of across the street um you know came and helped to dig her and her guide dog out so she's been spending all of this time with her parents because her house is not accessible right now yeah listen, and i would go into panic mode <laughs> yeah listen 150 centimeters yeah. that, that's five feet of snow right like put that yeah. in different terms that's five feet of snow like that would go yeah. up to my chest 
Well, I'm five feet tall, so no, no, thank you. Yeah, exactly. It would go all the way up to the top of your head. All yeah, right, Melinda, yeah, yeah. let's let's uh, shovel the snow topic away here and talk about some interesting stuff going on around uh, around the HRM, including a new exhibit at the Dalhousie Art Gallery uh, running called "As We Rise: Photography from the Black Atlantic." So, what are they exploring in this exhibit? Okay, this is this is really exciting, and sadly, uh, the Dal um, Art Center is not advertising that much. Um, so, I'm from my my knowledge is uh, this is a touring exhibition, all photographs. We're looking at about thirty to thirty four photographs in different mediums. So there's black and white color, there's exposures, there's you know they're they're six feet tall, they're they're um, half an inch to whatever the case may be. Every single photograph is taken by a black photographer, and the subjects in the photographs are uh, people who are black, uh, and and they're ranging anywhere from the 60s, 70s, 80s, right up to the present day. And it's just life uh, and community and the joys and the sadness um, of, of black people and who they are, how they are. Everybody is aware of the camera. Um, so th- this tour started in Vancouver. It was uh, put on exhibition in Toronto, and and I'm so so happy it is here, uh, here in Halifax at the Dalhousie Arts Center. The reason I bring this up, uh, not only because it's it's Black and African um, uh, Cultural Heritage Month uh, all across the country, but um, it's audio described. Every single photograph is audio described. And it's never happened as far as I know here in Halifax. And so I'm over the moon about this. Yeah, I was I was going to ask, I mean, you and I both understand why it's so important to have audio description in art exhibits and art galleries to be more inclusive. But it's the idea of setting the template, right? When when it's the first time that something's being done, that that's an achievement. And you really hope that people are going to follow suit, that other galleries are going to take notice. It, yeah. So I, I want to I want to give a shout out. So Rebecca Singh, who's in Toronto uh, with superior description, has done all the description. Um, th- this was not my project. It's someone else's. This is why I'm a little connected to it. Uh, they they are uh, QR coded. So you have to bring. Your- oh, we may have had an Internet cut out there. Uh, I do know what Melinda's talking about in regards to using the QR code, so you probably have to have your digital camera to uh, make that work through, but maybe the snow finally just uh, knocked out those lines in uh, the Halifax Regional Municipality, and uh, hopefully we can reconnect with uh, Melinda either later this week or possibly next week. I'll give you the points of contact here for the art gallery, just in case you are interested. 902 2403. That's 902-494-2403 to learn more about the Dalhousie Art Gallery. The exhibit, As We Rise, is running until April the 7th. Okay, Laura Bain standing by for an entertainment report, but just before we get to Laura... Samsung is trying to reduce the glare on some of their screens. Here's Mike Dubusky with another edition of Tech Trends. 
From ABC News Tech Trends, Samsung's brightest OLED screen ever is in its latest S95D television. And the company claims it's the first TV to fully get rid of glare. This is not new. People have seen glare-free televisions before. They're usually just a matte finish. And those matte finishes tend to disperse the glare, not get rid of it. Dan Cooley, editor-at-large of CNET, says Samsung isn't using a matte finish, but instead a specialized coating. Samsung's new proprietary technology doesn't appear to be one of those fuzzy matte screens. It doesn't change the off-angle viewing, and it gives you this ability to basically make those lights behind you go away and not show up as hot spots. Outside of the anti-glare coating, the TV gets the same quantum dot OLED technology shared by other Samsung TVs, and the whole thing is just 11 millimeters thick. The S95D is available in sizes up to 77 inches. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Okay, the uh, internet uh, deities are smiling down upon us today, and Milena Kazanavishus has reconnected. Milena, you were just talking about the way in which the art gallery allows a user to access the audio description. Right. Sorry, I'm not... Uh, um hence the snow uh, playing tricks um so yeah so if you call uh, pamela edmonds the curator at the dalhousie art center um it, they can uh, provide an mp3 player in case you don't have uh you know an iphone um and then and then you 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 can have sighted assistance uh, to go through the gallery and and uh, um queue in the Q, qr codes and then each each photograph will be described i i, I want to say quickly I, I find these exhibits quite emotional because no matter how great the audio describer uh, to me a photograph is something that is quite emotional and so kudos to the describers that do do this work um, um but, but but i find them sometimes a little bit difficult and that being said i am very excited for this whole exhibition that runs till april 7th and um so get out there it's free and um Look up Dalhousie Art Center Gallery. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, Milena, no, Milena, 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 take yeah. a breath. I've got the yeah. contact info here. You don't need okay. to relay it. I already relayed it while you were reconnecting. 902 <laughs> 902-494-2403. Okay, Milena, let's switch over to what's happening around the CNIB, specifically some tax clinics. Tax season is fast approaching, and that is stressing me out. And my accountant as well, who I call mom. Uh, that means it's time to bust out the calculators and the Excel sheets. If you're a member of the CNIB in Nova Scotia, there are some opportunities to take part in the annual tax clinic. Milena, first and foremost, eligibility. Who can actually participate in these tax clinics? Okay, so so uh, people with incomes as a single person under uh, 34000 per year. Um, for the family, a total of forty-five, and then and then there are other specifications. So you know, you you you're you're pretty much the the um, uh, underpaid and and below almost at the poverty lines, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, these are free. Uh, they are run by volunteers who are who um, are either retired or professional accountants. Um, so you know, you bring in your your information, and you leave it at the CNIB with the office and the, the, the people who are doing the taxes, and they will file them for you and check in with you via telephone uh, or, or internet, your preference, um, and then send them off for you. I, I think this is a fabulous service. Our public libraries provide this as well. Um, but the reason I bring up CNIB is uh, it probably feels a little bit more comfortable 
uh, a lot more accessible uh, and you know and you're dealing with people who understand that you are uh, blind and or partially sighted what's the demand like how does cnib manage the wait list that's a good question um i'm not sure we, there's not a lot of volunteers as you know uh, all non-for-profits are having a hard time getting volunteers so i, I think we have about two or three uh, tax volunteers who understand what they're doing. Uh, the demand has been growing over the years, um, you know, and, and I honestly don't know how it's being handled, but but your taxes will be done, you, you know. Uh, give a call with the information you'll give as well um, to CNIB and get yourself on, on that list um, so that you can have your taxes uh, done. And I, I almost guarantee that your taxes will be will be uh, submitted and you know you can proceed with the government not knocking on your door well yeah cra does uh, knock with a heavy hand melena thank All you right. for this have a great day <laughs> you too okay stay safe thanks so if you want to learn more about the tax clinics at the cnib in the halifax area 902-456-5982 that's 902-456-5982 Two. All right, let's bring in uh, Laura Bain, also in the HRM, the Halifax Regional Municipality, talking about the Juno Awards and the Juno nominations that are also making their way towards the Halifax region. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the nominations were announced yesterday, so we know a little bit about uh, what those ceremonies are going to look like and who's going to be going up on stage. So uh, we have performances announced from The Beaches, Charlotte Cardin and Nelly Furtado, who is the host we've mentioned on here before. Uh, likely there's going to be some more performances announced, but that's what we know for now. We also know that Maestro Fresh West will be inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of fame um, so that's very cool and we know that Tegan and Sarah will be honored during the ceremony with a humanitarian award uh, for the advocacy work that they've done within the 2s LGBTQ plus community and that award's going to be presented by Elliot Page um, uh, Halifax celebrity here. I mean, uh, <laughs> national celebrity now, but from Halifax. So, uh, you know, looking over the list of nominees yesterday, Dave, something that really struck me was the youth of so many of the non nominees, oh, yeah. like in the big categories oh, yeah. as well. And that might be another way of saying I looked at it and kind of went, oh, I don't know who a lot of these <laughs> artists are. I will admit that, that that was kind of the case. Um, Wait, but, Laura, uh, Laura, can I interrupt you? Same yeah. exact sentiment when i was looking at the big <laughs> award nominations i was thinking to myself brown you are officially out of touch like you were completely out of touch so we're gonna try to familiarize folks with a few of the artists that kind of are at the top of the list uh this morning but uh you know when i looked at all of the artists nominated for single of the year uh and all except for one artist uh, nominated for artist of the year they were all under 30 the only exception being shania twain nominated in the artist of the year category so that's really interesting to me um, you know, the most nominated artist folks might be familiar with is Charlotte Cardin, Montreal-born pop singer Charlotte Cardin. She was also a big winner at last year's Junos, um, but she's got six nominations for this year, making her the most nominated artist, including uh, in the TikTok Juno fan choice category. 
definitely speaking to the youth there a bit with that award. She's also nominated for Artist, Album, and Single of the Year. And we're going to give a little bit of a listen to uh, Charlotte Cardin's song, uh, her song Next to You. And this is from her nominated album, 99 Nights. I'm just going to set up the description a little bit that in the video we're going to see Charlotte is wearing a denim jacket and baggy pants. And she's standing on a platform while singing into a hanging microphone. Maybe it's the fact that I can't go back now Maybe it's the river, it's not much calmer now I can hear the storm knocking at my door And I just wanna answer I think I know its name Cause I'm the one to blame Always chasing a disaster and Laura, I have just added that to my Spotify liked songs list while that was playing. Holy smokes. She's really good. I kind of, I'll be honest, I first became aware of her just a few months ago when she played a show here in Halifax uh, that my partner was working at, and I listened to some of her music. And uh, I know she's also going to be playing at, a, at some smaller venues here in Halifax around the time of the Juno, so I might go check that out. Uh, but I agree, she's very, very talented. Now, the next two artists uh, that I'm going to mention are tied for the second most nominations with five nominations each. So the artist Daniel Caesar is nominated in all of the categories I mentioned for Charlotte Cardin. And we're going to hear a little clip of his song, Do You Like Me, from his album, uh, which is also nominated Never Enough. And I don't have to do any setup for this clip. Oh my gosh, I'm getting the most out of my Spotify subscription this morning. My goodness, Laura. <laughs> I didn't think I was familiar with this artist, but he was featured in the Justin Bieber. Uh, I can't talk this morning. The Justin <laughs> Bieber song "Peaches." If you remember oh, that track, yeah, you know, I get my peaches down in Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> so I did. I did know him from that. Um, now, the last artist that I've brought for us to listen to is the artist talk just the word like t-a-l-k so not really optimized for searching if you're searching for them you have to put in talk musician but we're going to get a little bit of a different sound with this artist also nominated for five junos so we're going to hear some of his song afraid of the dark but i'm still afraid of the dark I'm getting some uh, Creed vibes on that one. Just a little smidge of Creed there. Home and <laughs> 
Yes, I, I did as well. And and again, this was another artist that I wasn't sure I'd heard of, but uh, he had a song, Runaway to Mars, that was kind of big the last two or three years. And when I listened to that, and I think if you listened to that, you'd, you'd know it right away, uh, I'm guessing. So, you know, I, I think it's very cool that there's so many of these young artists that are nominated. I think the Junos are clearly trying to stay relevant, like with their TikTok fan choice category. Um, but, you know, it, uh, the other thing I'm thinking about is it introduces older folks like you and myself to some of this <laughs> new music. Um, and of course, there are going to be some familiar names in the nomination categories. Like I mentioned, Shania Twain, Nickelback is also nominated for Juno, uh, William Prince as an artist that I'm a, a fan of is also nominated and, you know, checking out the adult uh, alternative category. I, I at least recognize most of the names, <laughs> most of the names there, but um, ah. you know, we did have some omissions. Uh, Joni Mitchell, for example, example, just won a Grammy was not nominated for a Juno. Now, of course we don't know who submitted their work for consideration because mm. that's how the Junos mm. work. They have to be submitted. You're not going to see Drake on there because famously he does not consider, uh, submit his stuff for consideration for the awards but um you know looking at these artists and kind of you know uh doing a little research on their trajectory social media really played a big part in mm, a lot of their mm. career a lot of it was kind of self-driven on youtube and tiktok and that's probably why i haven't heard of half of the artists who are nominated but um what about yourself, Dave? Are you starting to dip into TikTok at all for finding new music? So I, I'm not a TikTok user, but certainly uh, TikTok has 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 trickled into Facebook and Instagram Reels as well as YouTube Shorts. And there have been moments where I'm hearing a song playing under a video, and I'm like, "That's a that's a that's a bop. That's a good song." And oftentimes, it's pretty easy to find what that utilized song is, and I'll go and I'll search it out. So it has happened, but I'm going to plug Spotify for the third time in this segment with my apologies here, Laura. They've introduced a feature where you can actually vertically swipe through new and trending music, and that's how I find myself finding some new music these days. You can find sort of different charts or, or uh, different adjustments based on your tastes, and there's sort of 30 or 40 seconds of a song, and you can just keep vertically swiping through and through and through to see if you like stuff and that's how i found a couple songs that i've really liked in the last uh, couple months i might have to try that out as i've said i use apple music but i don't find it's as good for finding new music and i have not gotten on the tiktok bandwagon yet <laughs> i do ha i have it on my phone but i will say i found the accessibility was like an immediate nightmare mm. um which is part of what's kind of kept me away from there but yeah maybe delving more into spotify and i do try to use instagram which is also not the most accessible but um i think a little bit better than than tiktok but <gasps> Uh, just mentioned on my way out the door, I know I got to go, but uh, folks can check out the Junos March 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern on pretty much all CBC platforms. So TV, it's going to be streamed on Gem and on the CBC Music YouTube. Also really cool, folks can just listen to it on CBC Radio if that's uh, what you have access to. Heck yeah, big props to the CBC. Big fan over here. Laura, thank you for this. I kept you a lot longer than I'm supposed to today. Have a lovely day. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. You too. That's Laura Bain at the Entertainment Desk coming up after the break. One story in the regional news update and then a very quick sports chat that's going to be more like a sports monologue. The Edmonton Oilers win streak is over. I have a couple of thoughts to share. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in streaming audio at AMIplus.ca. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, February the 7th, 2024. Coming up in the second hour of the show, there are endless conversations about disability representation in media. Do you think there's enough disability representation in children's films? Emily Shavers will share some of her research on authentic casting and... What does it mean to practice self-love? <laughs> Anupala explores the idea of loving yourself for health and well-being, especially ahead of Valentine's Day. By the way, my Valentine's Day plans are already set in stone, crying over the sink, eating peanut butter out of the jar with a spoon, an annual tradition unlike any other. The hour begins with the regional news update. Starting in Ontario, Ontario's Court of Appeal is allowing a class action lawsuit to proceed against the Minister of Long-Term Care for alleged negligence during the pandemic. Lisa Laporte explains. The four lead plaintiffs lost their parents to COVID-19 or related complications in 2020. They say the province knew by the end of January of that year that long-term care residents were particularly vulnerable to the virus, but didn't enact protections until it was too late. They say thousands of deaths and illnesses could have been prevented had the Ontario government acted sooner, claims which have not been proven in court. Lisa Laporte, The Canadian Press, Toronto. That's it for the regional news. Normally at this time, there would be a sports chat with Brock Richardson, but today it's a sports monologue with me. The Edmonton Oilers' win streak is over. The Vegas Golden Knights impaled the Oilers 3-1 in Sin City last night. Chandler Stevenson had the game winner early in the third period. Here's the call. Gets it in the right corner. Behind the goal. Marshes so to Stevenson. He scores! The win streak over at 16 games. Only three teams in the over 100-year history of the National Hockey League have won 16 straight games. The Edmonton Oilers this year, the Columbus Blue Jackets a couple of years ago, and the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 1990s. Sometimes there's this temptation when you watch sports to say, I only want the best. If you're not first, you're last. If you don't break the record, why even talk about it? As I've gotten older and matured, I've realized that in moments of greatness, regardless of your feeling about teams or opponents or players, you have to sink into the greatness. And what the, what the Edmonton Oilers have done this year since this win streak started over a month ago has been greatness. Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL, and he's chasing down Nikita Kucherov for the points lead in the league. It's amazing and remarkable. And even though the outcome of last night's game is not what the Edmonton Oilers wanted, it was a tremendously well-played hockey game. Two of the best teams in the league. If the season ended today, the Vegas Golden Knights 
and Edmonton Oilers would play in the first round of the playoffs. Sign me up. Let's build the time machine and start the playoffs today. Greatness. That's why you watch sports. Coming up next, there have been endless conversations about disability representation in media. Here's a question that doesn't get enough attention. Do you think there's enough disability representation in children's films? Emily Shavers has been sharing some of her research, or has been doing some research on authentic casting, and we'll share some of it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There have been countless conversations on disability representation in film and TV. The general consensus in the last six to eight weeks with a bunch of shows premiering across multiple networks is, yeah, it's getting a bit better. There's some improvement. It's encouraging. Is that the case in children's films, though? That's something that Emily Shavers is researching. Emily is the founder of True Faces. Hey, good morning, Emily. Nice to chat with you today. Good morning. So, Emily, why'd you start exploring this question? So, in my capstone project in school, we were given about 21 different topics, and of all of those topics, there was only one that was about children, which is what my background is in early childhood education, and I wanted it to be applicable to the field that I was in. So we had the option of studying like shows, children's books, or children's movies. And ultimately, you know, I wanted to do children's movies, you know, I don't want to analyze an entire show. And, and I knew that I had access to kind of that material. So I was like, all right, we're going to look into disability representation in children's films and what that even kind of looks like. Before I get you to start unveiling some of your findings, what was your process? What were you looking at? So for our sample, we had to A, define what kind of disability we were looking at. So we specifically honed in on physical disability representation through either a physical difference of a character or a mobility aid of some kind. Um, and then from there, we chose movies that where a specific disabled character had already been identified. So um, you think of Soul Surfer with Penny Hamilton or Wonder with Augie who has a facial difference or even um, the one that I've kind of recently been working on is Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. Um, so we chose movies specifically where these characters had been identified. What has your research found? So to kind of start, first of all, when you're looking at children's movies from an analytical lens, like there were so many more disabled characters than I had noticed originally. You know, when I'm looking, I'm like, okay, like we know Nemo has a a lucky fin, as they call it, but there's actually there's so many characters actually who have disabilities. They talk about like an octopus with only seven tentacles, or there's uh, in Finding Dory uh, a whale who's visually impaired, and so you start to pick up on things that you didn't actually look at before. Um, now, when we were we were creating our sample size and we were trying to find movies where dis specific disabled characters have been identified, the biggest thing was that it's a small sample size. Mm. We only found 
um, 11 movies where disabled characters were primary, like, apparent characters. So that was kind of the first thing that we noticed is, like, you know, when you're looking at physical disability representation in children's film, it, it's a small batch. It's a small batch of the thousands of children's movies that are out there. Um, so, so seeing that we do need more representation. Now, what I am finding, though, kind of on the flip side is that the disability that representation that is there is is fairly positive. Um, we're seeing a lot of, you know, I'll take Finding Nemo, for example, because like I said, that's the one I've done most <laughs> recently. He is a character who isn't really held back by his disability. There's no kind of limitations placed on him. We see the the worried parent side of things, which is actually, you know, a pretty real and accurate oh, yeah. conceptualization oh, yeah. of of Marlon, like of of parents that we see, but it doesn't seem to let Nemo kind of stop him in what he's doing. And and same thing for like I mentioned that visually impaired whale destiny, you know, she's still out there trying things. She's using her support systems. And so so there is actually a fair representation of like positive attributes to these characters, but they are still limited. Yeah, it, it, it speaks to two things being true at once. The quantity might be low. The quantitative research says there's not necessarily a ton of material, but that's what makes the qualitative side of it even more important, that if it is going to be limited, it better be done fairly well yeah. or really well. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is what we're seeing, which which is fairly positive when, when looking at it. All right, Emily, that's enough of uh, your school talk here. Well, you know, it's not school hours right now. Let's get you away from that. You're, uh, you've been actively trying to have more fun since you moved to Hamilton. I know that's an ongoing project for you. So you're taking the plunge here. You're going to go to a Hamilton Bulldogs hockey game. Emily, you're from the Peterborough area. I cannot believe this is the first time you've gone to a hockey game. You know what? Being visually impaired, it's never something that I thought I would go to or enjoy because I can't see the puck. And honestly, I don't know much of the game other than um, the the puck goes tries to go in the net, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, you say being from Peterborough and Peterborough Pete's games, and that would have been convenient. Um, the only time I really ever had an interaction with the Peterborough Pete's is I rode their bus when I went to the School for the Blind um, to, to get to school. <laughs> But otherwise, no, I, I never went. <laughs> There's some irony to that. Like, hey, I've been around the Peterborough Peets, but I haven't gone to see them go play hockey yet. Yeah. Uh, so, Emily, uh, you're, you're taking the plunge. You're going to go to this game. Uh, I've Even though I'm also uh, vision impaired, legally blind, uh, I, tend to, I tend to go to a lot of sporting events, so I can maybe be a little bit uh, of, of a sounding board for you here. What are your burning questions about best experience in a hockey game? So I am so curious about if there's any like tools, tips and tricks you have for being able to kind of follow along the game. Like I, I, I I'm under the impression that there's uh, like commentators, but like I, I imagine that in like a TV hockey game, like, do you actually hear that in the arena? How do you kind of follow along with like what is happening? So a piece of advice that I was once given when I used to go to a lot of Montreal Expos games in my youth was to bring, now here's where I really date myself, Emily. Uh, I used to bring a, a, a Walkman with me, like, like an AM, FM radio Walkman. Mm -hmm. And I used to listen to the radio broadcast while I was sitting in the stands to follow along with the game that Ooh. way. Um, I'm, I'm positive there has to be a local Hamilton radio broadcast. Now, I don't know if you can find 
find an AM FM radio that you can actually get into <laughs> one of these arenas. That might be a totally that might be a totally different question of dated technology. Right. But I think in terms of following the game, that is certainly an option. Uh, the people that you go with. You can certainly ask them from time to time to maybe give you a little bit of play-by-play or a little bit of description. But one of the things that I'll recommend to you is if you're going to enjoy yourself, sometimes you don't even need to worry about the immediacy of the play-by-play and just listen to the crowd around you. Listen to the roars, listen to the excitement, listen to the goal uh, goal horns, listen to the groans and grunts when the goal goes into Hamilton's net. There's something about just letting yourself immerse in the sonic experience of the game that is going to ensure that, that maybe you're not necessarily following the outcomes and the ins and outs and the X's and O's and the game of inches, but you'll just allow yourself to feel very present in the moment. Something about like that atmosphere and being there and and the people around you. I I will say kind of comparatively, I went to a uh, like Mohawk College basketball game um, for the first time just because one of my friends was there and I popped in to say hi. And and again, I I kind of understand what you mean when you say just like the feel of the crowd, the the way that people are are interacting. And you know you you can't maybe see that the ball went in the net, but everybody started cheering, so you're just assuming <laughs> that that's what happens. Yeah, and like a chant breaks out, and you can take part in the chant, which is always kind of fun. I remember I went to a, a Vancouver Whitecaps soccer game in the summer of 2014, and again, I, I did not follow the ball at all for the 90 minutes that I was there but I happened to be sitting in the supporter section who had all these songs and chants they were singing and I just was part of kind of like a karaoke party for 90 minutes and and it was right? just it and, would, and even kind of being able to people watch like you have those parents who are like really really passionate about their kid being on the ice or those people who are like diehard fans who are just uproaring when something happens and <laughs> ref that should have been a foul and honestly just people watching sometimes and there's also just an opportunity beyond the people watching to just chat with people around you. Uh, I went to a, a Montreal Canadiens Buffalo Sabres game uh, in December. And it, again, once again, when I was sitting way up in the bleachers, I eventually worked my way down to the lower bowl. I will not describe the nefarious ways in which I did that. Um, but as I was sitting up in the last row of the stadium, just chatting with the people around you, joking around, just like, hey, how you doing? Um, finding that kind of communal experience. And generally, when people go to a sporting game, a sporting event, a sporting game, I sound like such a lame-o, uh, a sporting event, they're, they're really, like, the people are there to be engaged, right? They're there for a social experience. If they want to just uh, Mm -hmm. put their head down and stay home uh put their head down and be quiet they would have stayed home and i guess that's kind of the mindset i need to to think about when going into this yeah like you know that these are the people who are there for that social experience because you're right they could have could have stayed home and seen the same thing Are, are you going with friends are you going with some people I, so ironically enough, it actually was not my choice to even go to this. Uh, We're taking some students from the School from the Blind to this event. So, I mean, there's this additional layer of like, I can't even tell them what's going on, but there'll be other people around for sure. So a a good group. Emily, I know you uh, like to take care of yourself, uh, physical fitness regiment, et cetera. What what, what snack is going to get you, going to appeal to you from the uh, the snack vendors around the arena? 
Ooh, you know what? This is again like another thing. I'm like, I'm not even sure what's available to me. Like, is, is this this is is this like a popcorn situation or a hot dog? Or like a... <laughs> my my <laughs> you got any recommendations? Okay, my general advice is keep it simple, right? Because there's going to be a lot of like jostling around and moving, so you you don't want your hands being mm-hmm. too too full. Uh, one thing that you could do is you could call the arena in advance and maybe if ask them if they've got any kind of like really mm-hmm. funky food or check out YouTube to see if there's anybody who's had any reviews about. food at the arena but really and truly emily when i'm going to a sporting event i'm a simple simple man hot dog popcorn ice cream diet coke and maybe maybe a cold adult beverage and not all at one time sometimes you got to do this stuff in in phases yeah but hot dog popcorn ice cream diet coke and adult beverages uh some combination of those five you're going to be a very happy person all right. Thanks. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, Emily, I want to hear about your experience afterwards. I want to hear if you actually enjoyed your time at the game. Absolutely. <laughs> That's Emily Shavers, the founder of True Faces. Coming up after the break, Valentine's Day is around the corner, which means there's a lot of expectations of expressing outward love. But what does it mean to practice self-love? The new Paula explores the idea of loving yourself for your own well-being. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Valentine's Day is a week away. There are all kinds of expectations to express outward love, buying roses, jewelry, chocolate, other things that I should not talk about on air. But what about taking care of yourself? I've long told you about my long-standing Valentine's Day plan of eating peanut butter out of the jar over the sink while I weep. It is important to love yourself somewhere along the line there, and that's something that Anu Paula wants to talk about. Anu is the founder of Anu Vision Coaching and Consulting. Hey, Anu, nice to chat with you this morning. Good morning, Dave. Peanut butter in a jar, that sounds delicious. Well, right out of the jar with the spoon, ideally oh, a yeah. tablespoon, although a lot of my tablespoons 100%. went missing. I don't, know, I don't know where one of them went. It's really bothering me. Um, Anu, what does it mean to practice self-love? Practicing self-love is really about understanding your own value and treating yourself in a respectful and loving way. Way. So this is really about, you know, really feeling good about yourself and ensuring that you you do what you need to do to ensure that you keep yourself high up. Mm. I guess uh, people say like that's being kind to yourself a little bit too. Absolutely. Loving yourself, being kind to yourself, forgiving yourself. Um, what are some signs that perhaps I'm not practicing enough self-love as I'm weeping over the sink eating peanut butter? What, what are some signs that you're not practicing self-love? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you are when you begin to, I think, you know, disrespect yourself in a way. So maybe practicing some negative habits, um, uh, for example, some people may do this in a way of um, overconsumption of alcohol or, you know, not honoring their values. I think that's a really big one, too. So being incongruent with your values, um, that's another way as well. Why do you think self-love is neglected or forgotten? 
I think it's really about the fact that, um, let's see, of why is it forgotten? I think because we get so stressed in life, um, we're so in, inundated with all the responsibilities of life, and um, we always, we often put other people in front, other people's needs in front of our own, and I think that's what really uh, can prevent us from remembering to take a break and and do what what we need for ourselves to fill our cup. Let's so let's be practical. Let's talk about filling our own cup. What are ways that someone can practice self love? So there are a lot of ways that we can practice self-love. Um, it's really about doing things that feed your soul, um, whether that's uh, exercising or whether that's doing something, like you said, doing something kind for yourself, whether it, that means, you know, reaching out to a friend, going out for a nice meal, maybe cooking a nice meal, going out for a walk in nature. Um, there are so many different ways we can practice self-love, but it's really about honoring our honoring our values and our needs. How do you practice self-love? How do I practice self-love? Uh, well, uh, one of my favorite things to do is my nightly skincare routine where I take my time and put on my lotions and potions. And my favorite is um, massaging my face with rosehip seed oil because it feels so good. And, you know, it just feels so therapeutic. And I find that, you know, when we do these small practices, whatever that looks like for you, we can really see a shift and feel a shift in our mindset. And, you know, when we feel that shift, shift we feel good about ourselves we feel more motivated we you know are able to seek more opportunities um, we have better experiences there's just so much and so it's so important and that's why I felt that this was a topic that we should really talk about during this month where you know Valentine's like as you said is around the corner we and we, we focus so much on the outward stuff you know the material things like you said the chocolates the jewelry and not that I am against that because I am all in for that but but at the same time um this I felt was a really important thing that we should all remember to take that time and and do something for ourselves Anu what does the science say about the benefits of engaging in self-love there are so many benefits to um it, it contributes to our overall well-being. And so, you know, think about the time when you did something nice for yourself. Did you did you ever notice, like, if that changed anything in you? Oh, I mean, 100%. Uh, I, I always think about it as, like, mitigating the sadness rather than embrace it, embracing the love. But I've oftentimes talked about uh, a mental reset when I'll go to the movies, right? Take myself out on a movie date and just get away and, like, have some popcorn yeah. and chill. Or uh, totally. some, or sometimes it's like you said, the, uh, the, 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 the facial care routine. I don't necessarily yes. mess around with a skincare routine, but there are, there are things that I'll do, right, in terms of, like, oh, I'm going to maybe buy a nicer shampoo or I have... I have yeah. good shampoo that I use uh, uh, infrequently in my shower, and I've got the cheap shampoo that I use frequently. And every now and then, you bust out the good stuff, or you light the candle with the essential oils, right? It's it's, but, yeah. but I consider that to be more like methods of relaxation rather than necessarily like the inward act of self-love. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it kind of is because at the end of the day, it's, it's you're doing something that makes you feel relaxed or feels good. So I think it's aligned with practicing self-love. 
Um, you know, the one other thing that I really wanted to highlight as well that I think we don't talk about a lot, and that is about, you know, the fact about um, maintaining healthy boundaries. Um, it's very easy sometimes to go along with, you know, how someone treats you like a certain way and you kind of accept it, but you don't feel good, you know, whether that's a toxic relationship, um, whether that's just a friendship that that you just accept someone's behavior. And just because either you want to still be in that crowd or, um, or with that person. But I find that, you know, when you accept um, how a person treats you, and if it's negative, um, that is not an act of self-love. Mm, yeah, I feel you. Anu, thank you for this. Have a lovely week. Have a lovely Valentine's Day. And just, just enough jewelry and chocolate to make you happy, okay? Like, don't overindulge. Okay, I won't overconsume, I okay. promise. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll take care of the peanut butter. You take care of the jewelry. And then everybody's cool. going to have a lovely Valentine's Day. Happy that days. <laughs> <laughs> that is Anu Paula, the founder of A New Vision Coaching and Consulting. Just that one thought here heading out into the break. There was a news story that I didn't know if I was going to have time to get to it today, and it's all about the streaming world. This one is from south of the border, but I do wonder if it's going to make its way north of the border. Of course, maybe you might use a virtual private network. Not that we would ever endorse that. American telecom companies are joining forces to launch a new sports streaming network. Jason Nathanson breaks it down. If you're a sports fan who said you'd love to have most of the major sports channels in one streaming platform, then you're in luck. That's exactly what's happening. Combining forces will be ESPN, Fox Sports 1, ABC, Fox, TNT, and TBS. So that's a lot of football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, college sports, and more. It's a team-up of Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery. CBS and NBC aren't part of the lineup. No name yet for the new service or price, but we're told it should launch in time for the new NFL season. Disney's the parent company of ABC News. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. Yeah, Jason, price matters on that one, especially because what needs to be understood in the way they're talking about this package is it's not everything, right? It's not a true one-stop shop for your sports consumption. It's just another fracturing. Even through amalgamation, it still represents fracturing of the sports consumption process. Super important. Jason notes it in that report that CBS and NBC aren't part of that, which means no Paramount Plus, no Peacock. Where does a lot of the NFL action live? Where does the Super Bowl live? That would be CBS this year, and sometimes that's going to be on NBC and Peacock. So they all these telecom companies can talk about, oh yeah, we're amalgamating, we're creating these one-stop shops. It still isn't truly a one-stop shop. I've asked you this question before. What would you pay every month to get everything? Everything. Every show, every movie, every live sporting event, every pay-per-view sporting event, What's the number that you would pay for everything? And unless you can truly build me that tent or that umbrella, I'm going to always be leery of another paid streaming service, even if I find this one to be utterly tempting. 
Coming up after the break, you'll find out what's coming up on Kelly and Rumya later this afternoon. And Alex Smythe will conduct another edition of the roundtable all about filtering out spam. And we're not talking about the canned meat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Kelly and Rumya hit the airwaves today at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Rumya Amuthan is here now to give you a preview of what's coming up. Hey, good morning, Rumya. Good morning, Dave. We have our Wednesday show today, which is pretty standard staple we have every other week uh talk with greg david for a tv talk so we're talking about a japanese hit show it's called well it's first of all the canadian version that we're featuring today and it's called old enough they're following toddlers through their childhood development and there's a lot going on here um i think one of the details is that these children are running errands on their own so basically this spun wait from a wait what? yes what? yes Exactly. Okay. So we don't have the details, but essentially these children are running errands on their own and they want to follow childhood development. And this spun from an initial conversation we had about risky play um, and whether or not children today are getting enough risky play. So, you know, are you safe enough or are you too safe to be putting in that risk? I, right? I, so that's, I, I have you know. been accused of being a toddler in an adult's body before. Even I struggle with running errands. <laughs> I don't know how these toddlers are going to do it. I don't know either, Dave, but I mean, it's big enough to be a hit reality show. So I'm yeah, very, very no, curious. No joke. I love it. <laughs> also, uh, what are some good things to know about using a credit card? I know Ryan Chin's on your show today to talk about different things, but this is what he's going to be covering when he comes on our show for a monthly finance hit. And who's changing jobs? Why are they doing so? This is, you know, obviously still the beginning of 2024, but Michael French from Robert Half Canada is going to tell us what they got going on in terms of stats so far in the Canadian job market. Yeah, Ryan Chin's talking to y'all about credit cards. He popped on this morning to talk about life insurance plans. Yeah. And yeah. uh, the notion of infinite banking, using life insurance as a way to uh, pay yourself while you're still alive. He threw a little bit of cold water on it, but not not so much cold water not that so it's much. still not on my mm. brain. Yeah, absolutely. I think we talked a little bit about life insurance, or at least the different breakdowns of uh, what they are, Dave. And, you know, there's... So much opinion around life insurance um, because things are really changing around it as well, I guess. So what my mom considered life insurance when she was uh, locking in is very different from what yeah, we have now as yeah. options. Uh, by the way, that is the uh, topic for the Daily Poll at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Do you have a life insurance plan? Yes or no? Ramya, I'm not going to badger you with that question. I just want to remind the audience that you can get engaged with that question, want to hear your perspective you can also send an email feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca or pick up the phone and give the show a ring 1-866-509-4545 1-866-509-4545 if you leave a voicemail please give permission for it to be played on the air so your voice can be heard from coast to coast to coast 
on the mighty airwaves of AMI-tv. And of course, Kelly and Rumya, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Rumya, don't go anywhere because Alex Smythe wants to bring a topic to the table that I think we're all too familiar with. Alex, this one comes from the autobiographical file. Yeah, Dave, over the last few weeks, I have been bombarded with uh, spam calls, spam texts, more spam emails, getting through all my junk folder filters. And it's it's funny because I can always tell when I'm getting a, a spam call. A, it's going to show up a number. It's going to usually have the same area code that I have or one that's like in California or, or like Nevada or something like that, something very obvious. Two, it's going to take a second or two to connect, you're, you're gonna say hello, you're not gonna hear anything. And then when that audio does connect, you're gonna be just blasted with background noise before you actually hear anyone on the other line. It, it's, I, I just wonder like why it always goes through this ebb and flow. It always seems like there's a period of just peaking in terms of these types of things. So I wanted to find out from everyone on the round table when it comes to, to spam and, and kind of robocalls or, or anything like that, how active you are in managing it and updating kind of the filters that you are putting on. So Nisreen, let's start with you on this one. How active are you when it comes to blocking and updating your list in terms of spams and filters? I mean, I used to, it would be easier to tell if somebody's calling you and it's a spam. It was easier. And now you can see that they're local numbers. Yes. So it's really hard to tell now. I, I And I have to answer because, you know, I'm a DJ. I have that side business. So I answer random calls, you know, get new clients or whatever. But when they're local numbers, you can't really tell if it's a spam or not before you answer the phone. So that's what's scarier now, where um, they're just getting more clever. Before, it would be like an 800 number or whatever it may be, um, and it would show like a different country or whatever it is. Uh, they just got more clever. They know more about you. They know more about you, and that's what's even scarier. I had my sister... Uh, get a call and she was uh they called her and said that her husband and they said by name and her name that he's in jail and you have to pay this amount or whatever or whatever so yeah, it was, it that's was, that's the common and, one now that's the one that's the one that's become very common and the worst part is is that they called using his number so she answered and Whoa. she thought it was his mm. yeah it's that's what I'm saying. They got more clever and it's scarier. And there's a lot of people that fall for it because it's it, it gets it's realistic. You know, like it, um, this is a real life situation where they're like, oh, he's he's in jail. You have to pay this. He can't answer the phone or whatever. Using his number. They know his name. They know where he's from. They know her name. Um, all that research, all that hard work. I mean, they they got a business here you yeah, know well, i doubt it was i doubt it was hard work it's just for sure our uh, companies yeah. our companies selling our information to them in nice little neat packages uh, because we are the product uh nizreen i would i've got a follow-up question here you mm -hmm. mentioned your side hustle your business is a dj what's the yes. ratio of spam calls to actual business calls oh my god more spam calls I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. in, in, especially recently <laughs> it's sad 
and I get so excited. I'm like, hello, this is DJ Nazi or whatever. Um, and it's a spam call. So <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's a disappointment. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I am having a very similar experience to Alex here. Uh, Ramia, I'm getting a lot of spam calls from the 613 area code. So my same area code as me and a ton of spam emails. Like, I don't know, I don't know how I ended up on these spam email lists, but they are beating right through my Gmail filters and I'm getting all kinds of garbage. What's your experience been like? Uh, pretty much the same as all of you guys. So many spam calls. I don't even enjoy giving my number out on a regular basis. And now I'm thinking like, how the heck? It's true. I've I still actually... don't, I still don't have your phone yeah. number. You're very protective uh -oh. of it. No. Oh, Dave, you didn't even ask yet. Anyway, so um, <laughs> no, the thing is, like, honestly, I used to, you know, way back in the day, just every number that called that was scam, you'd put it in the um, block list or like report a scam, right? And now, uh, I've, I'd say Apple has a decent amount of filters you can use, like unknown callers will get silenced or uh, just it assumes that it's spam. So it kind of tells you on the caller ID, but I a, don't pick up unknown calls. Like I'm assuming that if it's a real situation, someone will either email me or uh, follow up <laughs> with a voicemail. That's very modern. Anyway, That's very modern. Who calls anybody anymore? Who calls anybody? I'm serious though, because I get spam even on teams, like through the, through the work account. So I, I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, we're yeah. just not, yeah, we, we can't get rid of it. And as you said, with email, forget it. Like I'm just assuming when I go in and I have a hundred unread emails, uh, 55 of them are scammed. Like it's that, you know, legit. And with screen reader, it's even more fun because, uh, they're not English, you know, half the time there are all these, uh, other language letters, um, and characters in spam. So I just delete, 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 delete. Mm. Uh, it's like second nature to me now. So anyways, to the original question that Alex had, how active am I with the filtering and with the uh dealing of scam not really but i just avoid many of the communications that come through i assume it's scam before i assume it's real like that's how yeah. bad it is sometimes yeah. a legit person from my contact list will email me and i'm very tempted to uh, question mark it just to find out if it's really scam or not and it has happened because people get you know compromised right yeah it's it, it certainly on the facebook side you, you you find frequently people saying do not open the dm that was sent to me do not accept the friend request i yeah. have been hacked uh alex nazreen raised uh, uh, ramia raised something interesting there the idea of actually answering the phone these days like if i get a phone call from one of my friends i pretty much go to deep concern right off the top i'm like oh gosh well if you're calling me this is probably a crisis if you're not my parents like what is happening here uh but i will say my sister because she's a teacher by profession hides her phone number for outgoing calls mm -hmm. so i will still answer calls from unknown or private numbers because it might be my sister yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's uh my sister in law as well, who's also a teacher, that it's like you you it's funny because you always know, oh, I'm getting a call from a private caller. Oh, and it, it must be them, you know. Like <laughs> really gets a, the private caller uh number. It's one of like two two people that end up using that. But yeah, it's it's funny because I don't know why. I like I always assume I'm gonna pick this up, it's going to be an unknown. But there's always that chance, right? That's like it could be something else. Like, you know, I'm I'm going and looking at apartments to rent. I got a call last night from uh like a landlord and stuff like that. So it's like, well, there's a a, a greater chance now that it's gonna be other people that are just not in my contact list that are going to be calling me. And I find that 
it used to be a lot better with Apple with identifying, you know, potential spam and things like that, as, as uh, Rami had mentioned. But it, it seems like I rarely ever get those notifications anymore. That's like, oh, this is potential spam. This is potential, you know, um, like a, a kind of a phishing call, something like that. So they're, they're getting more clever for sure. Um, but I, I think there's still kind of these consistency. The one that scares me is the situation that Zareen described. That is a, yeah, a yeah. terrifying look ahead to the future. Yeah, that's one where the technology is evolving uh, very quickly, which begs this question. I mentioned it too, that a lot of these tech companies end up selling our information to these call centers or scam artists, and you end up getting these negative outcomes. So, Ramya, how careful are you about putting your phone and email down when you're filling out info online? Even I know you don't do a lot of online shopping, but there's still mm -hmm. forms where you know you got to put this stuff down. I hate putting my phone number in anything, Dave. Like, I'm serious. It's very, um, even if it's delivery, which you have to put it down twice sometimes because these days you're, you know, you got the porch pirates and all this other stuff Ugh. where you're like, please, please, please call me when you're here. Just get a hold of me. I don't want you to leave my delivery outside in the open. Um, so I have to put my phone number down, but I hate it. And then the reason why I hate it is exactly what you said, Alex, and Dave, you pointed it out too, which is having to answer the unknown calls because you're awaiting deliveries and awaiting contact from people that, you know, aren't on your contact list. So uh, medical appointments, all kinds of oh, stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, you're. I'm not a fan of it. I wonder when we're going to move off phone altogether. Like, obviously, the, the scam... <laughs> The scam is getting so bad with phone calls and emails that I'm wondering if the next thing we're going to do is find other means of communication where we can lock it, right? Like yeah. lock a uh, yeah. scam out. And that's where I'm I'm really looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, that's where the AI fights the AI back, right? You use, yeah. an, you use an AI to fight the AI. Uh, Nazreen, awesome. got to be a little quick on this, but what's your strategy? How careful about actually putting your phone number down when you're filling out forms online? I'm going to be honest, I'm not so careful. I should be. I'm the same but, way. Um, I'm right there with you, by the way, Nazreen. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of places where it's required or you're, you know, it's just part of the questionnaire. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So I'm not, I'm not very careful when it comes to these things. You guys miss the. You guys day. have an email though that you put in for this kind of online stuff that yes. isn't your proper personal email. Uh, yeah. I used to have a dummy email, but it got too complicated because sometimes yeah. you're buying stuff online and you're like, oh, I need that delivery notification. It just gets. <laughs> it's going to be easier if it goes to my stupid main account. Uh, I do miss the days of receiving the spam call where I won the free cruise. <laughs> You've won a cruise. That's my be that's my best cruise horn, and I uh, I need coffee now. That's all the time there is for the show today. Things kick off again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time on the mighty airwaves of AMI Television, and of course in beautiful audio at amiplus.ca. Until then, I'm Dave Brown, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 
Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.